0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 639, for Monday, January 9th, 2017.
1: And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We scour about finding not only answers for your questions, but cool stuff found on our own. We share it all with the goal being that we each, yes, each, learn at least four new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... A new sponsor, Blue Apron at blueapron.com slash MGG, where you can get three meals for free at that URL, including uh, your uh, your shipping. So your first three meals for free at that URL, blueapron.com slash MGG. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute. Also a returning sponsor. But boy, has it been a long time and we are stoked to have him back. GoDaddy at GoDaddy.com, where coupon code MGG30 saves you 30% off of all new products. We will talk about that as well shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here, back from CES, along with my esteemed colleague um, in
1: Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. All right, John, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to put me on the spot. What was your absolute favorite product that you saw at CES last week? Because we saw or or thing that you saw. It could be, you know, a concept, anything you want. What was the most the thing you're most excited about?
0: Wow, you did put me on the spot.
1: Um, I'm going to tell you mine if you don't have yours yet ready and you can you can ignore me and think about what yours is. But mine mine comes to mind immediately. Are you ready? Uh, go. It's Energous. Um, th- this is a, a company, E uh, N E R G O U S. They actually are a publicly traded company, despite the fact that they or they went public before they even had a product. Um, they make wireless charging. If it, and and they make the technology to make it work. It's very very cool. They um th- we they have three levels of wireless charging right now. They and and they don't sell direct to consumers. They sell to um, you know, to manufacturers. So right now they have a contactless charging where you're, you've you got to be very close within a few inches of the charger, kind of like we're used to with the Apple Watch. And then they have one. And I've seen all three of these just because they they actually work. It's not just somebody spouting BS. Um, they have one that works at uh, what they call mid range or short range. I don't know, two to four feet. So think about something that could charge your wireless keyboards and your wireless mice that are right in front of your computer or charge your watch while you're at your computer. Uh, And then they have one that goes 15 feet. So that could charge your uh, remote control in front of your TV, your other IOT devices that are in your living room, maybe your smoke detectors, uh, any any of that kind of stuff. And the cool part is the devices, the receivers are. The same in all three of these. So if you get something that has an energist chip, their their brand name is called Wattup, Up, W-A-T-T-U-P, WATUP, right? Uh if it has an Energist chip for a, a short range, you know, contactless charger. And then later this year, when people can start shipping the uh the, the longer and longer range ones, it will simply work with those. You don't need to get a new device uh to to charge. You just need to get the the, the transmitter. And really the best way to think about this is that it's like um, combining Wi-Fi and solar, right? You, it's it. They, all the engineers I talked to are like ex-Qualcomm and Broadcom and uh, people that that know how to do like beam forming and all that because Wi-Fi is just sending energy into the air. It's the same thing. They've just built a receiver that takes that energy and turns it back into power that you can store. Very cool stuff. It's like the cool. future, man. Yep. So- that's, uh, We're living in the future. That's I it. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's my uh, that's my first one. Certainly at the top of my list. There's other things I'm excited about, but that's that's the one. What about you? Um,
0: I I would say the thing that I saw, having somewhat of a hardware engineering background and all that, but the thing that I thought was the coolest, Dave, was Aura, A U R A, and you can find their product at AuraHome.com these guys use RF radio frequency to detect what is going on and what's happening in your home. I thought it was a very clever application of RF technology to determine what's happening.
1: Yeah, that is
0: cool. Uh, Cool. It was something I never thought of. And actually I, I, I saw them at their booth. So, you know, I did a little ditty about them, but also, um, then on the show floor, they actually had a uh, VR experience where you could see, and they had a very slick video. Um, and again, a, a 3D <laughs> experience that was, it, it was so awesome to see, but they're using radio waves to determine what is going on in your home. Basically, uh, humans disrupt radio waves. Uh, right, uh, in right. In addition to disrupting all sorts of other things. Yeah, all but the that was other the coolest things, thing right. I saw because I, I would never think of using radio waves or disruption thereof to uh, tell me what's going on. Every so. time
1: you say that, I can't stop thinking about the Roger Waters song. Just, just, I'm just, radio waves. About radio waves. Yeah. Yeah. Was oh, that, um was on uh, radio, radio chaos. chaos. Yeah. Radio chaos. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Yeah. Great absolutely. album too.
0: Yeah. It yeah, really was a
1: great album. Yeah. All right. Um, as I'm thinking about this, there's, there's so many things and I wrote up a, a bunch of them. We'll put, you know, links in the show notes and all that stuff to the things we wrote up, but, um, you know, I like my mesh networks and, uh, and so Linksys was one of the many companies that, uh, that released a mesh networking product or announced a, a mesh networking product. They started taking pre-orders and they will start shipping, I believe next week. Theirs is called, uh, VELOP, like envelop, V E L O P. Uh, it is, a tri-band mesh. So every device has three radios in it. And the cool part, which is similar to the Orbi. Now, the Orbi, uh, two of the radios are used for the front hall, if you will, for the clients. The um, the The third radio is used for the back hall. That's Netgears Orbi. Linksys's is uh, Velop. All three radios can be dynamically assigned in real time, depending on what they need to be. So the uh, so you can have all kinds of different configurations that whatever it it, it decides makes the best sense for for your scenario. Um, it's, you know, priced pretty much the same as the euro four ninety nine for three, three forty nine for two and one ninety nine for one. But um, it can work in any configuration. It supports Ethernet backhaul if you happen to have that, too. So it really sort of does um, everything. As per the spec sheet, I have not. Touched it yet. I have not tested it, so please bear that in mind. But um but I'm very excited about that. D-Link sort of announced a mesh-ish thing. Um and TP Link also sort of announced a mesh-ish thing, and they're not quite ready to ship yet. And and so did Norton, which is weird. But they're all built on the same wireless uh chipset from Qualcomm called their Qualcomm S-A-N. And, uh, and I actually got to meet the engineer who is the lead of that team and talk with him for a little while. And they've got some really cool things coming up too. So, uh, so the mesh world we're just really just getting started, which is, which is very cool. And like I said, this Qualcomm chip isn't everything, not just the Velop, but in Eero and Luma and Orbi and all the other ones, it's, it's the same Qualcomm stuff, which is very interesting. Unfortunately, nice. it doesn't. None of the stuff interoperates yet. I think that's an artificial limitation put on by the manufacturers that want to sell you into their system and keep you there. No great surprise. Capitalism has to do what it has to do. But um, but it is all the same chips at the core. So that's that's that one. What do you got, John? Um, I'm just going to spit out a few things. Um, Let's we don't have to do do products. We can do, you know, observations, anything that that sort of, you know, struck you uh, from from CES. Well, I'd like to offer some very brief travel tips or at sure. least travel observations. Actually, let's, that- let's do that at the end. Let's get through the CES, like the CES specific stuff, but because I've got some travel stuff, too. Listen, um, so we'll do that. Not at the end. We'll do that at the end of this segment. But if you don't, I have like two other things to talk about that are related to CES specifically. Do you have anything on that list? Um
0: I I would say this was the show where we saw part of the realization of HomeKit, though it's still. <laughs> uh, but we saw more. Okay, I, I would say we saw more, and, and you saw it in our coverage. Um, more people are supporting it. I I got to say, my humble opinion: HomeKit is a hot mess. <laughs> oh I, yeah, I, but I'm, more more vendors were offering concrete, actually credible. Uh, support of the platform. Um, again, I honestly think Wh- that which Apple- vendors
1: which vendors did you see that that had like HomeKit products? D-Link released their Omna One Eighty HomeKit camera, so there was that. Uh,
0: there was a foreign, a French vendor, and actually there was a, a strong French presence. And actually, okay. they have, I think, a tag. Um. But I saw one vendor saying, yeah, by the way, you know, our home control stuff is uh, compatible. I don't have the, the name of the vendor, okay. but we saw the last time we went, we, we saw people, you know, touching upon it. But again, I think Apple announced it too early and, and
1: I think I think ta- they just, have just announced not managed the it.
0: tech. Yeah. Well, they haven't managed expectations well. I, I think we can all agree on that. Um, but we saw way more products. This time we're actually HomeKit compatible.
1: I'm, not, I'm actually, I, and that's why I'm asking about specifics because I didn't feel that at all. I mean, there certainly were a few products that that came out that were HomeKit, you know, specific, but um, but by and large, everything I saw was, oh yeah, we might support HomeKit down the road, but today we support Google Home and and Amazon's, you know, Echo well, platform.
0: The one that did. Uh jump out at me and I visited them was, um, uh, quickset who, uh, uh I believe okay. it's quick Set. Yeah. Um, They're not new they to home kit though. Right. I mean, they've, they've, they've been there for a while. Well, they make locks, but they, they came out with a, I think is a very innovative. Um, so they came out with one of their, which I believe is their first home kit product. And it's a super, the, I hope to get my hands on it. You know, and I <laughs> asked them about it, but they have an amazing, a uh, smart door lock. So it's uh, not only a lock. I mean, that's what they do. Sure. Um, but it also has a touch screen, but it's also home kit compatible. So you get multiple vectors into securing your home and detecting what's going on. And, and I think that's pretty cool. That's
1: cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, I um, most of the people that I talked with and QuickSet is not yet on Apple's uh, home kit accessories page, but I, I would imagine it will get there at some point. Um, they've got a knowledge base article that was last updated in December um, that that kind of shows all this stuff. But um, it's a pretty short list, unfortunately. And and the problem is that it requires um, HomeKit. You know, the sort of the general consensus is that it requires a chip from Apple. That's not entirely correct. Um, it mm. does require a preposterous amount of CPU power compared to everything else that it like if a device were to do any of this smart home stuff, it needs a CPU of about you. Let's say that's X uh, you know, X speed in order to do the home kit security negotiation, even just key exchange probably requires, you know, 10 X the CPU horsepower. So you've got to put a, a chip in there that can do this. Now, you know, if you're running something like Homebridge on your Mac, your Mac doesn't have a HomeKit chip in it, but your Mac is fast enough to crunch the data in in a, at a speed that it can support HomeKit. Your Synology is probably fast enough to to crunch the the data at a speed which could support HomeKit for Homebridge, but a lot of the chipsets that they put in these IoT products are intentionally the, the minimum that they need. And that's why so many of these things can't be upgraded to HomeKit because they just don't have the CPU power to do it. I remember one company telling me they tried to add HomeKit support to one of their Bluetooth devices and just the key negotiation or the key exchange in order to get to the point where the two devices could communicate took 45 seconds and it's because Apple has put these huge security mm-hmm. requirements. Yeah, it's like elliptical curve math. ECC, with, yeah. I've yeah, with, with a... like 3000 bit keys or something. I mean, it's just, it's, it, and Apple's stance on this is we don't want these devices to compromise the data that's in your iPhone. That's really why they, they say that they're doing this, right? You're storing your health data, all your personal data on your iPhone, your iPhone's communicating directly with these devices. So we're making sure that this key exchange happens in a way that um, is super secure and your iPhone won't get compromised, but they don't care what happens beyond that, right? So if you've got like, um, you know, a Hue bridge for your Philips Hue bulbs, it's only the bridge that has to support this home kit negotiation, the, the bridge then talks to the bulbs and that can happen as securely or insecurely as Phillips chooses. Apple doesn't touch any of that. Um, it's kind of a weird thing. And it, it really has pa- placed Apple out of the market. Unfortunately, um, their hearts are in the right place, I think, but I don't know. It just, it, it makes it very difficult for people to support them. So I don't know. It's nuts. It's nuts. You know what I mean? Mm. Creepy. Anything, anything else other than the travel stuff? Cause I, there was one other thing. And then I want to, actually, I want to hear about your travel stuff, but um, I had, uh, I had my aha moment, John, with, with virtual reality this week. I, um, I went to the Seagate, Seagate didn't have a, maybe they did have a booth, but they had a separate pavilion over at Caesars where they had all their products showing. And then they had a back room where they showed Uh, all kinds of future technologies or current technologies that were going to require lots of data to be stored in the future. and they were fast forwarding three years to the year 2020 and they had all kinds of things and they showed, you know how much like drones were going to require how much storage, how much storage video games were going to require. And then they had a VR section and, and it was meant to be fun in there. You could play video games, you could play with the drones and then you could do this VR thing. And they said, we have a balancing exercise uh, do you want to do that? And I'm like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, you sure? Like, you know what? Sure, whatever. So I go back and I put down my stuff, and uh, and they introduce me to the guy that's sort of manning the uh, the VR area, and he says, uh, "You don't get uh, nauseous when you're exposed to heights, do you?" And I said, um, "Not that we've found yet, because I never want to be cer- you know certain about this." He's like, "All right, that's good enough." So he puts the headset on me. And, uh, and there's earphones and the headset and obviously, a you know, a visor with, you know, goggles and, uh, and I'm looking around and I'm standing on a street corner and there's buildings next to me. It's like a city. And he says, all right, do you see the uh, remote control in front of you? I said, yeah. He said, reach out and grab it. And I did. He's like, and it was weird to grab something that was actually there. He said, that's actually the only real thing in, in your world here. Uh, but you need to have that. I'm like, okay, fine. He said, uh, look up at the building next to you. Do you see the birds way up at the top? I said, yeah. So you see that little plank way up at the top. I said, yeah. He says, that's where you're going. I'm like, okay. So he he has me turn and I get into an elevator and he says, before you push the button in the elevator, there's two things I'm going to tell you. Number one, I'm not coming with you because I'm afraid of heights, but I'm going to be uh, talking to you via this little drone that's next to you. I'm like, okay. And sure enough, you know, this drone appears like, fine. He says, um, so when you push the button, the elevator is going to close, but I'm going to leave the door cracked about six inches so you can see out while you're going up. I'm like That's fine. says, you ready? I said, sure. So drone leaves the elevator. Uh, it's going to fly up outside without me. I hit the button and now I'm on my way up. And, you know, what about a halfway? I'm peering out the uh, elevator as we're going up and about halfway up. I start to get that kind of feeling in my stomach and my legs like you get when you're, you know, exposed to heights. Vertigo. A little bit. Yeah. And uh, and it was like, okay that's fine. And then we get up to the top and the door opens. And I had a pit in my stomach, John, because when the door opened, the only thing in front of me, it was like open to the outside air, except for this six inch plank in the center of where you would walk out. Otherwise, you're up 500 feet. And he's like, see the plank? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And he says, Go ahead and touch the plank with your foot. Now I knew they were going to put a real plank on the ground. I had seen them moving this around. So this was not a surprise to me, but otherwise I'm just in like a big hall that's carpeted. You know, there's nothing to worry about here theoretically. And I put my foot on the plank and like, it's everything I can do to get my foot to go onto this plank because it's, you know, just outside the, the elevator door. And so I put it there and I'm like, he's like, you feel it? I said, yeah, he said, step onto the plank. And I can't bring myself to do this at first. Like not at all. And every time my head would break the threshold of the elevator, there were fans in the headset that would turn on and, and make it seem like wind and all of that. My legs were shaking. I was sweating, had this pit in my stomach and I knew, and I'm even talking to him like, oh, you turned on the fans. They're like, what fans? I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. And, uh, and I, like I, you know, I can't do this. So I, I tried a couple of times, couldn't get my leg to like lift up and put itself on the, uh, on the plank. But uh, finally I backed up to the back of the elevator and not, I didn't take a running start at it, but I, I walked towards it with some purpose and finally got my feet after probably a minute and a half, two minutes of, of negotiating here, finally got my feet, both of them onto this plank. And I was like scared out of my wits and they said, all right, see if you can go to the end of the plank. And so I shimmied my way out to the end of this plank, petrified that I was going to fall. Um, this would not have been a problem if I didn't have the visor on and just walked to the end of this plank that was on carpet, but I was petrified that it was going to fall and uh, made it to the end. And he said, well, you made it to the end. Not everybody does. And it's like, oh, great. He says, you want to jump off now? I said, yeah. He says, okay, turn towards me. Now, mind you, I just agreed that I was going to jump off this thing. Turning was yet this other entirely petrifying experience. So I did my C3PO shimmy turn and uh, then was facing the, uh, the, 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 the drone that had been off to my right the whole time. And, uh, and he said, all right, when you're ready, just take one big step off the plank. And of course I did that. And now I'm in midair, like Wiley e. Coyote. And, uh, and then everything was fine. And it all reset it. But the, the, I, I knew full well where I was. And yet my entire body, i.e. my brain, at least half of it was telling me, do not do this. VR really works. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So anyway, that's nice. my story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. It was like so real. Even telling the story here, it just like still feels real. <laughs> crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy. All
0: right, well, John. Like the the VR thing I saw with Aura. I mean, when they showed me the RF, you know, bouncing off of things. I mean, the, the uh, headset, I, I don't even know what brand they were using. Sure. It was an awesome demonstration of how their technology works. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So you had some interesting travel stuff, John. Um, uh, some little tidbits here. Yeah. So um, this is the first trip I've done, Dave. So I'm, you know, I'm a, this is the first trip where I used electronic boarding passes, which okay. is nothing new. Sure. But, but the the one thing I will note, so um, I flew out on Delta and flew back on United. The only thing I'll say that was cool is that Delta, when I flew out, so, you know, you get the electronic boarding pass in your wallet, and I'm sure there's an equivalent on Android as well. But um, here's the thing that I give them hats off for, is that I got a notification when my bag was loaded onto the plane. That's kind of nice. United did not do that. Delta did. Wow. I've never had that. So you get a barcode, of course, on your bag. And, you know, at some point I got a notification saying, yep, your bag's on the plane.
1: Which is just a nice, warm, fuzzy. I bet I'd that say. would have happened regardless of your electronic boarding pass, because that's an the not, boarding passes don't send you notifications. Apps do, right? So my guess is that came well, from the, the app, app. Did,
0: but yeah. the thing is, I I got it with Delta. I did not get it with United. Hmm. Now they all gave me updates as far as you know the gate and you know delays and and all that stuff. So sure, that, that was kind of cool. Sure. Um. The other travel thing that I think was cool was, um, so this is the first time due to miscommunication that I used, uh, Lyft. Lyft is very cool, yeah. uh, to, to get out and about. And now they allow that in Vegas along with the uh, Uber right. in restricted areas.
1: But, um, first time I used Lyft and, uh, they're awesome. Oh yeah. Lyft. Um, I use Lyft most of the week. Um, I wound up using Uber, the, uh, to get to the airport at the end cause it was cheaper than Lyft, uh, that, at that particular moment. But, um. But yeah, you mostly use Lyft. It worked great. L-Y-F-T, for those of you that haven't done it.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, the other thing I did is that I remotely monitored my home. So I used both my drop cam and also the t- Tato, or Tato, yep. still can't get that right, to monitor the temperature in my home to make sure that my house was not
1: sure freezing. Sure.
0: <laughs> but also the drop cam, it was kind of fun, is that every now and then I'd pop in and run my drop cam and see what's going on in in my house yeah that was very nice that's cool um i think that's that's really about it but um you know there's so many electronic tools that really help with uh with the whole travel thing that uh so those are the major ones yeah revelations that i had uh, on my travels here and they were uh wonderful until both you and i of course got back in and, and that we both came back into a snow. <laughs> so storm. we left. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically came back and yeah, as as I landed, um the snow was ending um in Windsor Locks or Bradley, which is yeah. the airport that I like. And uh um You got really lucky when we left. I did because the storm, as I think you pointed out, so the thing is Connecticut or or Bradley or Connecticut sometimes is isolated from the trauma of a lot of these Northeast storms. And we were because I landed you know, there's a little snow in my car. It was, I was able to start it up, which, you know, there's that moment. Of course. <laughs> moment yeah. of truth. When I come back to long-term parking, I had to brush my car off and I'm like, oh, I hope because my battery's kind of old, but sure. you know, I started it up and everything was great. And then um,
1: from that point on, it was uh, just not yeah. driving like a maniac. Boston and all the New York airports on, on Saturday were closed down for about six wow. hours. Yeah. Thankfully, I've, I had chosen to fly fly back into Manchester in New Hampshire and that one- it was snowing when we landed, but but everything was fine. I actually, um, I've been a, a TripIt user for a long time. And I've been a TripIt Pro user for most of that long time. TripIt's a great little service. You um, you can put all your travel plans in. Most of the time, all you have to do is forward the email that you get um, from your, uh, you know, from the airline or the hotel or whatever. You just forward it to plans at TripIt.com. And that actually will create your TripIt account for you. If you don't already have one, Uh, but then, you know, once you have an account, you just keep forwarding things and you can assign multiple email addresses so it knows all the things that are from you. And then it builds your travel plans. And if you're a TripIt Pro user, not only does it watch your flights, but it will alert you when there are changes and they alert you hours before the airline will. And that actually happened on my flight out um, on what a week ago, Monday, that um, I think about six hours before my flight. they started telling me that it was delayed and I had a very tight connection on my way out. So I, uh, I wound up jumping to a different flight and actually then that one wound up getting delayed and it, it all turned out to be kind of crazy, but I made it and it was all good. But, um, but uh, without TripIt, uh, it's just for anybody that travels with any frequency, I I highly recommend TripIt Pro because it, it, it having, it's like having someone actively watching all of your flights and really making sure that, you know, things are going to work out. And then it'll present you with options when, when things aren't going to work out, like here's an alternate alternate flight. And actually it found me my alternate flight that the airline said, no, 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 that you can't take that flight. And I said, no, no, it's right here. It's going to get me to where I need to be. They're like, yeah, but that's not technically a connection that works. And I said, well, yeah, I know I'm going to be there two hours early as opposed to 30 minutes early. But it's fine. And they were like, yeah, okay, you know what? You're right. Fine. Without Trippet, I wouldn't have had that. So that's one of those things. And then I got a little gadget called the uh, the Vector Cup holder, John, at Vector Works. And it's W.E.R.K.S. So S.com. This is a little cup holder that clips onto the edge of your tray on the airplane. I mean, you can clip it onto the edge of your desk or anything you want. But in and it's and and then the cup sort of drops into it as opposed to sitting on top of your tray and being wobbled around by uh you know by turbulence and and pesky other passengers. So it's um it's a cool little thing. It actually flattens down so that it can fit in your carry on really easily, and then you just clip it on. You can drop the cup in. It can fit like a, a real mug or even those crummy little cups that they give you on the airplane. So this was a cool little. Cool little travel toy to have that um I don't know. Mm. I, I liked it. It was something to do. Um something to deal with all that stuff. So
0: and the last thing that I used, yeah. So I like um Super Shuttle. And I gotta say that they they have upped their technology game. So um so I like them. Uh that they're, they're available at major airports to get you to and from where you're going. But uh the thing that I thought was cool, so I booked my flight. You know, you can book it online and stuff like that. Sure. But what, what tickled me was that they send a notification. So yeah. I, I use them for my pickup at a, at our hotel to the airport. But they send you a text saying, uh, yep, here's your guy. But the thing is, they actually get very specific. So one, they sent me a thing saying, yeah, here's a thing where you can track your driver. Oh, so, that's cool. so when the guy's coming, it gave me a Google map and I could live see the guy approaching me. But then it also, when the guy was there, it's like, yeah, um, Jason in shuttle 630 um yep he's here he's waiting for you um do you see him
1: oh, that's pretty cool <laughs> i thought that was cool too i'm like yeah. you know the
0: guy pulls up and he's like john and i'm like jason and he's like yeah we're good man you know i prepaid and all that stuff sure. you know tipped him because he was a great guy but um yeah. that too um the travel is so much more pleasant with uh, all of these uh,
1: yeah with notifications batteries. and stuff it's just having the information i mean that's really what it comes down to is having the information you need at the moment you need it and not before or yeah. after.
0: Yeah. And then, and yeah. then I got lucky, Dave, uh, I think I told you this, but, um, so I got to the, uh, airport and you know, uh, I get there, I check in, you know, I check my bag and they're like, yep, cool. You know, here you go. And I go through and the guy's like, no shoes, no taking off your jacket. And I'm like, what? Oh, did you get
1: pre-check. They the, the, just uh, like a apparently.
0: Apparently, they had. Uh, they must have had a backlog because uh, everybody at this one checkpoint, I they closed the nudie scanners sure. and um and all that. And uh, the the guys like, yep, everybody come on through. And I'm like, you know, this is the way it should be for everybody. Honestly,
1: I, I, if I only traveled once a year, I would still have paid for five years worth of TSA pre-check. <laughs> no, it it because like you said, it's totally um. It's the way it should be. It really makes a difference uh, to be able to not have to pull all your crap out of your bag and and keep your shoes on. It's just so much more efficient. Um,
0: but I, th- I think they got backed up. So they decided, sure. all right, you know what? We're we're going to give this one time pre-check exemption everybody. to yeah. everybody because we just got to get people out. of. Yeah, we just got to
1: process it through because it's faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. That's great, all man. Right. Yep. Hey, uh, I mentioned we have two new sponsors and uh, and I want to talk about them both. The first one I want to talk about is Blue Apron at blueapron.com slash MGG. So Blue Apron is an ingredient and recipe delivery service Uh, and the way that it works. And I've used it. You go on and I've used many of these services. This is by far the simplest one I've used. Uh, Lisa and I, a couple of weeks ago, knew that, you know, this was coming. And so we had to go online and pick our, our deliveries. And we spent, you know, I carved out like a half hour to do this because I've been through it before with other services and it always takes a while. You got to put in all your preferences and all this stuff. I logged in uh, the process of creating an account and getting my first delivery scheduled took 90 seconds from there. And it told me what it was bringing. Now, from there, I could choose different things, but I was all set within 90 seconds. So go to com slash MGG. Here's the cool part. You get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash M G G and you get to pick all this great stuff. I mean, the, the meals that they've got coming up are things like spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furry cocky. I don't even know how to pronounce that, but it sounds delicious. Pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach, mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. We made a recipe last night um, because, you know, the stuff actually showed up on Saturday right before I uh, right before I got home. And so it was this mozzarella chicken with uh, with linguine that we made and it was delicious. It took like, I don't know, maybe a half hour to make. but the, um, the cool part was you have the directions. Now they send you a printed card with all the directions. You also have them on your phone if you want. And there's even videos on the phone to show you, like, if you're not sure how to peel the stems off of kale, guess what? They'll show you how to do that. No problem. And we did it together as a family, having the recipe printed, all the ingredients come in a box. It's the way they do it. Is, uh you know, it has all the, uh, the, the the right stuff in the right order, but it's all um, it, it's all, you know, sealed in a way that keeps it cold because there's ice packs in there, all that stuff. And we had a blast just, you know, uh, actually, my daughter was was busy. So it was three of us that uh, that cooked. She ate with us and we got a meal for four. It was plenty of food for four. And that includes me. And also my 14 year old son who eats like twice as much as I do. There was plenty of food. It was, it was fun to cook. It really was just a blast. So I highly recommend this. Uh, it, it, it you know, and I'm, I, I would be talking about it anyway because they're a sponsor, but I, I mean it when I say I highly recommend it really works out well. So you can go check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com/mg. slash G uh it, you'll love how how much fun it is how good it tastes and really just the 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 process of being together and cooking is great and you can get meals for you know two people or four people however you want to do it whatever works for you really fun again blueapron.com/mgg it's a really fun way to cook and it uh you know it even adds new recipes to your kind of your repertoire cuz it's easy to get sort of stuck in a uh in a rut, and this will break you right out of it for fun. It's less than 10 bucks a person for, for these meals. And they're really good meals. So BlueApron.com slash MGG, our thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this episode. And we're very happy to have GoDaddy back on board with us. GoDaddy.com, where coupon code MGG30 saves you 30% off of anything new that you buy. I have been using GoDaddy for a long time. I keep all our domains with it, it, Mac Geekabs with it, uh, Mac Observers with it. They make it super easy to manage all your stuff. They'll even take care of your DNS for you, uh, for your domains. And man, I'll tell you, that is a huge thing because I've built, I actually have a DNS server running. You don't want to do that. You want to let them do that. And you just want it all in one place. So when you make a change, it happens very quickly. Their domain registrations go very, very smoothly. Uh, They've got big savings. Again, 30% off all new products. Their support is fantastic. I had a problem earlier this year where I transferred a domain and and shouldn't have. And they, uh, I mean, they were right on top of it with me. They called me. They talked me through the whole thing. They explained what they could do and couldn't do. Absolutely fantastic. It's the world's largest domain registrar. But they don't just do domains. You know, that's kind of where it started for them. But they give business owners the tools to, you know, build your online presence, attract customers, manage your business, all of that right there. They've got email in there, all of it just built in to the system, all tied together. You know, they say that their mission is to radically shift the global economy toward life fulfilling independent ventures. If that doesn't resonate with me I don't know what does because <laughs> that's kind of what I do. Right. And uh, and GoDaddy has been a part of that for, for me uh, for a long time, certainly as long as we've been doing this podcast, uh, because I think that's about as long as they've existed. So you got to visit them. Go to GoDaddy.com. Make sure to use coupon code MGG30. That's MGG3030 30, 30, for 30% off all new products. Our thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring this episode. And John, with that, do you want to take us to Norv? Norv? Norv. That's the first question up. We're finally ready for our first question.
0: All right. So Norv says, Dave and John, happy new year. I'm having trouble with Apple Mail on my 15-inch. Mid-2014 MacBook Pro running Sierra. I have a one-terabyte SSD with 299 gigs available and 60... I don't think it's relevant. So. (laughs) But thank you for the additional information, and I'll say for all our listeners, uh, if you can give us as much information about your OS and your machine and all that, it always helps us, because sometimes there are these nuances. So um, here's the deal. My problem is, when I open up mail, I can see all of the mail that has arrived in the sidebar. And I can see the email messages in the column next to the sidebar. When I click on the message in the column, the message does not show up in the viewer window. I oh. tried restarting mail, and sometimes the message appears, and sometimes they don't. I have rebuilt my mailboxes, but it doesn't seem to help. I've been living with this problem, but it is getting old. I believe it showed up with Sierra. It seems if I wait several minutes, fifteen or more, the mail finally loads. I run Mail Tags, Mail Act On, Mail Perspectives, and Sig Pro. Um, also, I run Mail Steward. So, actually, I'm thinking to myself, Dave, uh, he's running a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Um, but I've yeah. wondered if I should abandon mail and move to a different mail product. If so, what would you recommend? I'll give you what I recommend, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, rebuilding a mailbox is always a good idea within Apple's mail app uh, because things get corrupt, things, th- stuff happens. <laughs> I'll bring it to that. But, um, There's one other thing that you can do with mail in addition to rebuilding a mailbox. And actually, I did this recently uh, because I I feel for you, Norf. And actually, I had a similar problem when I was diagnosing, while I was on the road, diagnosing your issue. Um, Here's another thing you could do. You could do it manually or you could do it with a tool, but I did it manually. So the thing is, uh, there's another piece of data that you may want to reconstitute. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. So here's what you want to do. You want to quit mail. And then here's what you want to do. You want to go to users and then your username. So this directory, library, mail, and then in this case now, it's now v4. Uh, they keep be- incrementing this number. Slash mail data. And what are you going to see in there, Dave, and everyone else um you're going to see a few files that begin with the word envelope index what i would suggest and i did this and i don't know if i'd suggest that this is something you should always do dave but um if you're running into problems with mail it certainly can't hurt so you're going to see these files probably about three of them that begin with the word envelope index um I would whack those files. Again, back them up first, maybe copy them, put them somewhere else just in case you make matters worse. Delete them and then restart mail. Now, what's going to happen is mail is going to think, oh, well, something's new. So I'm going to, and you're going to get a dialogue. So don't be alarmed. Once you, delete these files don't be alarmed when mail says oh i think i'm running for the first time i'm going to reconstitute your your mail messages the thing is a lot of key information is stored in these files dave and if it gets corrupt you may run into this whole spinny wheel mail loading never resolving thing and that's what i got
1: yeah no i'm 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 with you on that um I think there's that's I mean there's nothing wrong with deleting the envelope index that way. You can do it with Onyx as well, but it's going to do the same thing. Um, There's you can also you it's a SQLite database the envelope index is so you can actually go in and vacuum it out with SQLite commands without deleting it. But I would say twenty percent of the time that doesn't work because the files are actually corrupted. And you just need to delete them anyway, and the end result is the same. So you might as well just start by deleting them and save yourself the the headache. Um, so, and I and I agree with you that removing the envelope index or or forcing a rebuild of that is the right thing. This can happen for a lot of reasons and it if it keeps happening you might want to start looking at what extensions you have running or if mail is crashing on you regularly because that's when the envelope index is going to get corrupted is is when mail, you know, force quits or that kind of thing. But um
0: well that was my uh, my observation again is that he, uh, he's running a lot of Third-party mail extensions. Well, is he, is he running
1: extensions? I, I gotta, I gotta get well, back add-ons. to
0: add-ons. I'll, I'll say things that complement the functionality of mail. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, he's course- using.
1: Yeah, he's using all the SigPro extensions. Now, I mean, I use two of those four SigPro extensions, mm-hmm. and I have no problems with mail. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you know, um, and I don't think those well. Now mail tags and mail perspectives might look at the envelope index certainly mail acton and sigpro do not but um but yeah no I, I think i think i i actually don't think his problem is related to his extensions based on based on what i've okay. experienced with it and i don't think it's based on um uh what was the indexing program he says that he uses uh he said he used something right no maybe not I thought, oh, mail steward. That's right. Mail steward just copies your mail messages out and then does its own indexing. So I don't think that's the issue here, unless any of those is causing mail to actually crash. The envelope index tends to get corrupted when messages are coming in or messages are being moved and mail crashes in the midst of that operation. And and the envelope index is, you know, doesn't get updated uh, properly. So. So that's my thought.
0: And that's my thought. Yeah. And that's our thought. So that's what I got. I mean, mail, uh, uh, as to the question, should you use a different mail client? No. Uh, I don't know. I think, you, I, uh, Dave, I think we're both in tune in that on OS X, mail app is probably <laughs> grudgingly the best choice. In that it supports plugins, um, there there are certainly third party, you know, Air Mail and, and and things like that. I I don't know if I would use this. Y- you may. Uh, I I, w- I don't know if I use this as a justification to move away from Apple Mail because it, it offers still, I think, the best support, especially for third party products because they they build it to target Mail.
1: They don't right. build
0: it to target third party things. So. Right,
1: right. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, we've got, we've got we've got a couple of we've got a couple of very up. smart people in our chat room here at uh dot com slash stream. Hello. And both mm-hmm. Brian and Alex and I think other people, too. I think Andy uh, are all shaking their heads and, and screaming and yelling, disable the mail extensions <laughs> and see if this problem still exists. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's that's not a bad troubleshooting step, because as they point out, rebuilding the mail index can take a while. If you have a lot of messages in mail.
0: Um, Oh yeah. When I did this, it was like, yep. Well you got, I think in my case, I had tens of thousands of emails and yeah, it takes, I think it took about a half an hour for mail to
1: get back into a state. Yeah. So it's not a bad idea to, to just turn off some of these, these, um, you know, mail plugins and see if that changes it. My guess at this point is that it will not, but turning them off can, um, can happen very very quickly especially if you use something like small cubes uh mail plugin manager which is available me for me free. to it because yeah. i would
0: say how do you disable mail plugins Well, mail plugin manager yeah. is mpm's tool great you use
1: yeah right so um if you use that you know you quit mail you uh you run mail plugin manager you turn it off and then you turn it back on uh if you know after you're done testing it's very simple it just moves them out of the way that's all it does uh my experience is when you're seeing an empty mailbox or a mailbox that's not updating correctly, that that's generally not being caused actively by a plugin. Now, again, if a plugin is causing mail to crash and I, I think it's the envelope index regardless, regardless, but, but it's worth testing because it's, you know, 30 seconds to test that versus 30 minutes to test by rebuilding the index. So there you go. That's my thought. All right. Anything else? All right. No. Good. All right. We no, will move. Good. We will move on. Um, I'm going to go to Andy here, John. And, uh, and because Andy asks, he says, I'm looking at the advantages and disadvantages of setting hibernate mode on my MacBook pro retina, 13 inch from 2015 to either three or 25. What do the geeks think? So Andy's question is, um is what are it, you even talking about right it, in the uh in the power management settings there is this thing called hibernate mode and what it does is it decides what your mac is going to do when it goes to sleep so there are three settings there's actually more than three but i don't recommend messing with it uh with anything other than these three settings there's three th- settings you can use so the default on a desktop is actually hibernate mode zero. And these are all configured via the terminal with a command called PM set power management set. So hibernate mode zero will uh, default on desktops. It will not, uh, it does nothing other than puts the system to sleep. The memory of the system is saved in memory and nowhere else. And the memory is kept active and refreshed by trickling power to it while the system's asleep. Okay, plain old sleep, hibernate mode zero, hibernate mode three is the default on your laptops. Uh, The system, when you put it to sleep, it takes a copy of the memory and saves it to an image on the disk, but then also keeps the power, the memory powered during sleep. This protects you in both ways. Number one, when you wake up the computer, it comes up right away because the memory has been powered during sleep and all it needs to do is wake up the screen and everything else and the, mem- the contents of memory are preserved. However, if your system runs out of power, you have the contents of RAM saved to the disk. So when you wake it back up and apply power, it will restore the contents of memory to uh, from the disk to memory and you wake back up right where you were, right where you left off. So this is why that's the default on laptops. Hibernate mode 25... Uh, is stores a copy of RAM to the of memory RAM to the disk and then powers the system off. Um, That's true hibernation, because when you go to power it back on, even if you have power, you still have to start up and let the system restore RAM, uh, the contents of RAM from the disk. So hibernate mode zero never saves to disk. Hibernate mode three and twenty five both always save to disk. And the differences between three and 25 is that three will attempt to keep the memory powered while it's asleep. Hibernate mode 25 will not. So Andy was asking whether he should use hibernate mode three or 25. And my answer is on my laptops, I use hibernate mode zero. The reason is uh, if you have, you know, four gigs of RAM, it's going to use four gigs of your hard drive to save this image. If you have 16 gigs of RAM, you can do the math. It's going to use 16 gigs of your hard drive or your SSD to store this image. The chances, the, the number of times that I have actually had my laptop totally run out of power while it's asleep are very, very low. I mean, it's probably single digits across all of my laptop owning life. And with that, there's no reason for me to have it a waste time uh, upon going to sleep to save the contents of RAM to the disk and B, um, use up all that space on my disk because it's used up all the time, not just when the system's asleep. So I uh, I said Hibernate mode zero and I'm okay with that, but I make the decision based on all the information I just shared. So hopefully now you can make that decision too. What do mm-hmm. you use, John?
0: Um, I actually use the default on portables. So okay. I use three because often- I will put my my MacBook Pro uh, will often uh, deplete its battery, and I prefer to have it to write the memory to disk, so when it wakes up, sure, it does it
1: quickly, and uh, and that's all about learning how to live with yourself, right?
2: I mean, and it's
0: a tomato, tomato, right? Um, neither uh, what I suggest and what my esteemed colleagues suggest neither is right or wrong. Right. It's what you. Prefer, yeah. It's I what, prefer what works best for you? That's right. Yep. I prefer to uh, have it saved. So if my battery, because I, I typically will run uh, more often than not, I will run my portable down where it gets to the mode where it's like, well, should I save the RAM to map to disk or not? And and to me, the the use of disk space is inconsequential uh, since I have a whopping crucial you know one terabyte drive sure, sure okay you're you're taking up uh what uh, and i uh, i believe i have 16 gigs on uh, this yeah, machine 1.6 so so percent like, of
1: your drive right
0: yeah, yeah so i'm like okay you know no biggie that you're taking a little extra time to save that memory but the thing is to me the benefit is that yep. when you wake up bam you're there but but I, I i understand your your point as well sure um yeah of course that file or that space could get screwed up or corrupt and and bad things could happen but um yep
1: so if you want to set this you can do you can do this as we said with the pm set command if you go to the terminal and type pm set space dash g you will see all of the settings that are currently in use uh hibernate mode being one of them and it will also tell you where your hibernate file is if you want to go and delete that um if you want to set it, you need to do so as root. So it, you have to do sudo s u d o space p m set space hibernate mode all one word space whatever you want zero three four twenty five, and we'll put that command in the uh, in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, it's fun stuff, and uh, it's it's I get I suppose I get why Apple um, does not expose this setting, but uh, I kind of wish they did. <laughs> i don't know
0: um it is it is interesting actually i'm glad you brought this up because my question would be how do you see how you're set and of course when you run this command you will see if you go to slash typically it's in slash var slash vm which for for newbies um or or uh, Muggles <laughs> is a place you probably should not venture into.
1: right? But if you yeah, go there. You but should be you careful to, with all this. That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if you do CD into slash VAR slash VM, um, you will see a couple of files there. Probably one is called sleep image, which I'm looking right now on my MacBook and that's there. And then there's another called swap file zero, which here's an extra nugget for yep. everybody because we're all learning things here. That's where the swap file is stored as well.
1: Right. Right. That's right. Yes, that's right. All the swap files. It's not just one. It's um, it stores them in in increasingly larger and larger sizes. Uh, It's bizarre. Yep.
0: And um,
1: and like some have said, um, you can't touch
0: this. Right. (laughs) Right. And you shouldn't do not fiddle with those files in that directory or anything. (laughs) I would say uh, that's buried deep within the OS. But uh, if you want to see them. They're there, and you can do an LS, and you can see the files. Yeah, they're
1: there. Just don't touch them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Do you want to take us to David, John?
0: do I want to take us to David, John. I will take us to David, John. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'll take us to David. So David has a question that initially seemed kind of specific, but I I would argue it's not. So here's what David said. Hello, Mac Masters. Thank you so much, David. We like to think of ourselves as, as such. But he says, I have a Logitech Performance MX mouse, and it keeps freezing. Do you know why this is happening? Also, I have a hard drive that I removed from my, my book, Enclosure, that being a Western Digital product, I believe, Um Because my Mac will not see it, and I put it in a new enclosure, and the error I'm getting is partition map may be corrupt. Is there any way to fix this? Any programs you know of that can help me with this problem? As always, any help would be great. Thank you for your podcast. Keep up the good work, and don't get caught. Thank you, David. And uh, we will try not to get caught. So initially, again, it seemed like a specific question, but I think it's general enough that we can help many people with this. So David... So first I had to look up this product, Dave. I'm like, what the heck is this uh, Logitech performance, whatever. Sure. Well, here's what it is. It is a product from Logitech, which I love their stuff. And I actually have one of their products. Um, I mentioned this because it it kind of uh, delves into this, or it's the same technology. Um, so, Logi- So this is a wireless mouse from Logitech. Logitech, for whatever reason, uses something called the Logitech unifying receiver. Um, This is a little dongle, and I have this because I have a Logitech wireless keyboard, solar keyboard, which I love to death. But Logitech, for whatever reason, has decided rather than using the built-in technology on the Mac, they want to have their own special little snowflake um, of a, a, a unifying receiver,
1: it, it makes, it makes to... pairing way easier.
0: Is is uh, part of the reason here for, for their products? Yes. Yes. Right. Rather right. than relying on the built-in
1: technology, which is um, which is, which is called Bluetooth, is, by the way, the built-in technology that they would use, it would be mm. it, instead of Bluetooth, it's it's just it's just their thing. That's right. Well, the thing is, um, uh, I would not
0: entirely agree with that. So, the thing is, the Logitech unifying receiver is. No, I mean the built-in dongle. technology
1: of your Mac would be yes. Bluetooth. So okay. it's either a Bluetooth keyboard or it needs to have a dongle. Logitech chooses a dongle. They both use 2.4, but it's a different yes. thing. And you don't have to deal with the Bluetooth pairing issues that you would otherwise, which can be a real pain in Correct. the neck with a keyboard or a mouse. So, yeah.
0: Correct. Yeah, There could be Wi-Fi because that's also 2.4, but I digress. Burn so your the battery. Thing is-
1: would never be Wi-Fi.
0: So the thing is, Logitech has a little USB dongle called their Logitech Unifying Receiver. And that's cool. And you get software with it and all that. And like I said, I have a Logitech wireless solar keyboard that uses the same thing. And they all operate on 2.4 gigahertz. Here's where the problem lies, I think. Um, so when he says it freezes up, I'm scratching my head over... um could it be interference with other 2.4 gigahertz devices? Um, as my, as Dave pointed out, the thing is 2.4 is... There's a boatload of things that use that. Wi-Fi uses that, Bluetooth uses that. They all claim that they won't fight with one another, but sometimes they do. So um, my one suggestion is if it's at all possible to change the frequency of any of your other 2.4 gigahertz devices... Try to do that, most specifically Wi-Fi. A lot of times, depending on the protocol, you can choose whether to use 2.4 or 5 gigahertz. Um, If you can move your things away, and Apple even suggests this, I don't have the article, but um, that's one thing you could do. Um, So it could be interference. Um, The other thing you could do is try to disable the other 2.4 devices that your machine is using Uh, Again, could be Bluetooth, could be Wi-Fi, could be Apple peripherals, could be almost anything, and to see if this problem goes away. Um, The other thing I would suggest is that maybe your unifying receiver is wonky, and that's a technical term, folks. Sure. Um, (laughs) It could be either your unifying receiver is failing or the thing is it plugs into a usb port maybe your usb port is failing so the one thing i try is maybe plug it into a different usb port um, or use something so so i like this thing called hardware growler this this is a utility mm. that shows you when um various devices whether they be bluetooth wi-fi usb or whatever connect or disconnect um I found it wonderful for identifying things that are acting up or acting uh, strangely because it'll show you with a little growler. Growl being a uh, technology um, independent of macOS or right, macOS, I got it right. <laughs> yeah. Not OS ten, it's now macOS, folks. Um, hardware growler will show you when... Network devices, Bluetooth devices, USB devices, and a lot of other devices, connect or disconnect. And you may be able to see, oh, well, it seems to be connecting or disconnecting. Yeah, your, a- your
1: Mac will see any of these Logitech devices that are connected to the um the, the the little dongle as as a USB device. So if your Mac is showing that it's going online and offline. That's indicative of the USB device, the dongle going online and offline. And that, that can be, I mean, that can be very helpful. Another thing to try would be to go into your router. If your router supports this and try enabling something called Bluetooth coexistence mode because Mm. 2.4 gigahertz, because yeah, because 2.4 gigahertz, you know, it is this, this range that's used by everything. It can be that your router, if it's too powerful or sending signals at the wrong time, can interfere with Bluetooth. You can turn on coexistence mode. It will slow down your 2.4 gigahertz signal, but it might be what you need. Even better is when it's all kind of built into the same device and, and can be managed actively uh, by the chipset. But in, in, mm. in this case, it's not. So if your if your router is too close to your Mac, that too could be causing these issues. Wow. Yeah. Dave, I just learned something new. There you and go. I have
0: to say, and actually in that vein, um, yeah. the the headphones that I use, which are JBL's, um, yeah. I forgot the exact model number, are Bluetooth headphones. And I got to say that the one time that I tried to use them in Bluetooth mode doing the show was a disaster.
1: Well, because Bluetooth has delays. It's got some latency. Well, not only that, yeah. but
0: the problem is, is that these were trying to communicate with Bluetooth to my Mac mini along with everybody else.
1: Right, right, (laughs) right. No, it can be a problem.
0: And I was getting a very unpleasant experience. So um, I think this may be, it could be a Wi-Fi or or it could be a wireless interference issue. Again, 2.4 gigahertz. Sure. Or it could be a USB wonkiness issue. So to answer the first question, that's that's what I got. Cool. As for the second question, uh, for the hard drive, if you get any sort of warning that partition tables are corrupt or acting up. A partition table is basically your directory. This is where the hard drive gets most. It's It's the the table of, of contents. Yeah. It's the start of where the hard drive decides what's there and what's not there and where to store things, where to read things from. If you get any sort of warning that your partition table is messed up, in my humble opinion, uh, that hard drive is on its way out.
2: Oh,
1: no 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 well, no no well, no. well, well, hold on.
0: Well, well no, it, uh, well, I'll take it back. Um at the very least, the hard drive uh, so if your partition table is corrupt or being corrupted, at the very least you should run a repair utility, mm. whether it be disutility or a third-party utility, drive genius, you know, the ones that we mentioned in the past. Um but something uh, Partition table damage
1: is bad. Yeah, you want to fix that. But um, but more often than not, something that's just partition table damage is generally the result of a computer that locks up and you have to turn it off. You know, that kind of kind of like what we were talking about with the mail index before, where it just didn't finish writing it properly. And you need to rebuild this table of contents or directory or partition table. It's all kind of the same thing. Uh, yep. Rarely is a partition table corruption the result of physical uh, degradation with the drive it generally, Rarely. right. Generally that's going to happen yep. to files elsewhere on the drive. You just get read errors and you just can't read the data. Right. But um, when so it we- happens with the partition table, it's, it's more mm-hmm. often than not just what I call a software issue and it not always repairable though. You, you know, it, if it's too tied in knots disc warrior or, or drive genius or even Apple's uh, disc utility, Aren't going to be able to repair it, but it's worth trying with all of those. Disk Utility is obviously free, but it's the least full featured um, of the three. Right. So if Disk Utility fails, I would go to either Drive Genius or Disk Warrior at that point, mm. uh, depending on which you have. Uh, either one's yeah. going to do a fine I'll,
0: job. And I'll grudgingly, it could be a sign of drive failure, very an early sign, but it could be a sign of software mm. corruption. Yeah. But um, in any case, um, as I think you and I have probably mentioned in the past, Dave, um, once or twice, um, make a
1: backup. Well, yeah, th- th- <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, we got good a, on this. We got a bunch of tips here. The first comes from Patrick. Uh, and he says, uh, I just found this while sick in bed. The tip is awesome, but not the crud. He says, uh <laughs> I was so very tired of audio or video clips that are embedded in web pages which start as soon as you open the page. Then you spend time trying to figure out the right window to pause, etc. They seem hidden in a sea of windows and tabs. Well, nevermore, Mr. Raven, Patrick says. If there is a clip playing in Safari, the tab shows a music sign. We've all seen that. Here's what I didn't know, and Patrick shares. He says, "You can click on just that little music icon" without bringing the tab forward. And when you do, it puts a little slash through it and mutes the sound. Very, very cool. Thank you for that quick tip, Patrick. I like these kinds of things. Listener Eddie follows up from the last show because we were talking about the magic formula to figure out how fast a battery could charge. And Eddie was the one that originally shared us with it, shared it with us, and he shared it again. He says, a rule of thumb for safe charge rate is 1C where C equals the milliamp hour capacity of the battery. So a 2000 milliamp hour battery could charge at two amps safely. A 2C rate would be four amps for the same battery. NICADs and nickel metal batteries can easily charge at two and three C rates without harming them significantly. But unless you know what you're doing and have the proper equipment, I wouldn't recommend exceeding the one C rate for lithium ion. We charge our remote controlled airplane batteries and fireproof containers always just in case. So a 2000 milliamp hour battery could charge at two amps. The iPhones, depending on which one you have generally tend to be somewhere between 15 and 1800 milliamp hours, which is why if you put a meter on those and, and you have a charger that will go over one amp, you will see that it won't quite reach two amps. That's because the iPhone won't take a charge faster than Uh, this one C rate, which for this would be like 1.5 to 1.8 amps. So thank you very much for, uh, for resharing that formula with us, Eddie. Made it easier than going through all the archives and now I've flagged it. So we won't get it wrong next time, or we won't have to guess next time. Paul, Paul has a little story to tell John. He says, uh, he has a retina iMac 2015 with a terabyte spinning drive and 24 gigs of RAM. Uh, he says, last weekend after I updated the OS, I started to find only a blank screen when the boot finished. Hmm. Uh, and he, he talks about how he could see and move his cursor. Volume keys would change things, the brightness would change, but all he saw was his cursor. He said, uh, I tried uh, booting into recovery mode and checked the disk. It was okay. Although I had two very recent clones, I was extremely reluctant to install the OS on the internal drive as the system wasn't recognizing them. Uh, and he tried various things and it kept happening. He says, after some Googling, I found an article that said shut down your computer by holding the power button for five seconds. So that's the force turn off, not non optimal, but. When all you can do in that.
0: No, that's like a hail Mary.
1: It is the hail Mary. Right. But when all you can see is your mouse cursor and can't do anything else, that's, that might be the only way to turn it off. So do that, get it turned off in the safest way possible. And then start it up and hold the shift key down through startup until you see a bar. Now this starts it up in what's called safe mode. And when that bar is happening, you get all kinds of stuff. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, He says, when it gets to the black screen, type the first letter of your name and hit tab and then type your password. So the assumption is that you're sitting at your login screen and, uh, and by hitting tab, it's auto completing your login (laughs) name and then type the password, right? Which I kind of like. He says the rolling mouse should appear and the screen will go black again, hit the space bar and you should see an installation screen, let it install and you're good. And, uh, and indeed this worked. So the thought process is that (laughs) some driving blind, right? It's driving. Yeah. For a bit. Right. That he did this update and it didn't finish. Um, But doing this, you know, just assuming that you are where you think you are, like you said, driving, you know, a bit blind for a, a short period of time will get you through. What's interesting. And I, I didn't ask would be, If you assumed that you were blind and used OS X's accessibility, would it tell you all the things that you would expect to hear? And could you navigate just fine? I don't know, but uh, but that's kind of what I thought here. So two things. Number one, here's this tip. And number two, not a bad idea to learn how to navigate your Mac Uh, using accessibility just in case you run into this same type of scenario. Yeah. 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 So interesting stuff. Thank you for, uh, thank you for the tip, Paul. Very, very cool. And, uh, you know, holding down the shift key starts it up in safe mode, which gives you a consistent experience. It, it, it clears out all the caches. It runs all your maintenance scripts. It runs disc first aid, uh, but it also doesn't
0: load. Right. Uh, it doesn't load extraneous uh, or third-party things. I think it just loads the Apple
1: stock uh, extensions, which that could be a problem. No, that's right. And then lastly, it gives you a login prompt as opposed to just bringing you in. So it's possible that without doing safe mode, simply hitting the space bar uh, might have brought up the installation screen. We don't know, but, um, but this certainly got them there. So, very interesting. Two follow-ups from uh, from last week's show. The first one from Steve. He uh, we were talking about BitTorrent traffic and auto launching a VPN when you launch BitTorrent. We came up came up with a bunch of solutions for it. Steve has a very specific one. It's called Transmission Interface Binder. It requires that you use Transmission as your BitTorrent client, but that's one of the best ones for the Mac. And, uh, and what Transmission Interface Binder does is it forces transmission to only work over a specific network interface. Of course, as you may or may not know, when you launch and start up a VPN, it creates a new network interface on your Mac. So if you point transmission at that, it will only use it. And that way, if your VPN dies halfway through your BitTorrent session, it's like your network connection died. It won't keep transmitting over that uh, that thing. So very, very cool little uh, little trick with, uh, with this thing it's available at GitHub uh, for free and you can, you can play with it there. So pretty cool, huh, John? I'm no? not a big,
0: uh, but no, I like the, uh, the, the isolated network channel access to, yeah. Um, I'm not a big BitTorrent guy, but um, All no, right. it's just me. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. as we all
1: are. Yeah, there's nothing I, you know, <laughs> as we said last week, there's nothing inherently wrong with BitTorrent. There's lots of of legal uses no, for it.
0: They have baggage. But well, right. they have baggage. They, definitely uh, have baggage. Uh, they have a bit of baggage based on historical usage and sure. that people would pirate things. Yeah, But that that that's pretty much their problem is uh everybody says, "Oh, BitTorrent, you're pirating stuff," pirate. right? That's it's like, right. "Well, well no, not it's necessarily a protocol." Right. It's a network protocol, and it's a very clever way of distributing uh, network resources, but uh, some people say, oh, you're pirating, right? Yeah. Well,
1: uh, mm, not really. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. That's right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Who so knows? Uh, because it's, uh, it's secret. It's, it's secure. It's secret. Right. My, uh, my throat shot from CES, so I'm going to let listener John walk us through this other follow-up from last week's show.
2: Hey, John and Dave. This is John... MCSUCPE in the chat room, and I was yelling at the phone as y'all were talking about Robin's uh, problem with notes in that I don't believe you said hit the share menu and email the note, and that's a way she could email or he or she could email it directly um, to her. Uh, mac and then open the note from the email into her notes app and then use it however she needed to or he needed to uh without any breaking of policies or anything um assuming uh email attachments will go through and um The other thing that you did mention is, yes, uh, the Microsoft stuff uh, on-prem is probably what's happening there. And uh, Microsoft OneNote would be a solution to uh, for the on-prem stuff. And that's a private cloud, as you indicated. And thank you. Happy New Year. And don't get caught. Bye.
1: Thanks very much. That's... uh yeah. Great, great, great advice. Again, you know, it, it's not the auto syncing solution, but, uh, but mm-hmm. Hey, you know, gets it there. That share menu is, is, uh, sort of universal in that whatever you can get to there, you can get out. And, and we did Dave, uh, but I believe you may have seen this, uh, email, but, um, uh, our friend,
0: our good friend, Scott down in DC, I believe, uh, also advised us on this. So, yeah. uh, 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 I would actually uh, scratch my head over this in that would emailing be breaking policy? Mm. Um, Yeah, it depends. Right. And Scott brought up a very good point. Um, You know, don't fight with, don't try to circumvent your IT people. Don't try to circumvent policy. Um, We, and as Dave and I say, don't get caught. The, The thing is in the end, it's not going to work out well for you if you try to fight policy and try to work around the system. Try to work with your administrators and IT people and all that. And that 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 that's what he said. And I I, I totally agree with that. Um, in the short term, um, you may get what you want, but in the long term, it's going to hurt you.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. All right, um, we got one more tip from listener Mike. And Mike says, uh, I'm meaning to drop you a note about how I keep multiple copies of clone backups of my four Max. My aim was and is to be able to revert to a clone. If a Mac's drive failed, that's easy. But I also wanted to be able to revert to an older clone, for example, when moving from El Capitan to Sierra. A good idea, but unless I kept a boatload of drives with many partitions around, it wasn't going to work. There had to be a better way. And this is what I came up with. It sounds harder than it is. My Synology NAS runs BTRFS. It's just a two-bay DS216. For each Mac, I set up its own shared folder on the NAS. Carbon Copy Cloner runs, uh, uh, clones a Mac's drive to the disk image on the shared folder. The important thing here is to just turn off the safety net. You don't need it because on your Synology, what? yeah, for each shared folder, turn on snapshot replication to make a snapshot of the shared folder just before the daily clone carbon copy cloner runs again. And now I have a snapshot of today's clone that I can roll back to a snapshot of yesterday's. So this is a function of the Synology's new file system called BTRFS. So if you've had a Synology for more than even a year, you're probably not running BTRFS and can't take advantage of this. That's me. Probably you too. Unfortunately, uh, the only way to move file systems is move all the data off, reformat, copy all the data back on. Not necessarily the easiest thing, but if you do that, then you get the advantages of BTRFS. It's important to note, actually, while we're talking about these file systems, and, I, and this is sort of why I brought this in. So this is a great idea uh, because you've got all this replication and all that stuff that's just sort of built into the file system. Apple's APFS file system will provide us with all of this type of stuff will. too. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. When right. you get around to it. Well, when, it, when is that? As far as Yeah, you we haven't know. heard a lot about that lately. I mean, we heard about it at WWDC and then it's been right. kind of radio silent. But um but it's an important thing and it it's you know, these are the reasons that you move Uh, An entire platform to a new file system is is exactly stuff like this. And that's why I included it. Yeah, this is a very, you know, sort of tight use case, but it's a good one. I mean, if you've got a disk station and you're running BTRFS, this is great. You don't have to use the safety net because it's built in on the destination. That's cool. We will get the same type of stuff out of APFS once A, it's released and B, we all move to it. Now, whether Apple is going to come up with a very clever way to get us all there without uh, having to, you know, clone our drives and move things around. uh, I don't know that that would actually be quite the uh, quite the trick of magic. But (laughs) Apple's pulled, but Apple's pulled that, you know, rabbits like that out of their hat before. So, uh, you know, anything's possible. Uh, Just, you know, it's just I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. The worst that could happen is they'd screw everything up. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right that's right but maybe that's the trick is you know if you have a time machine backup it it sort of leverages that to to just automatically rebuild your drive and get you back up and running on this new file system even though behind the scenes the process is clone reformat clone good you know i don't know it's interesting though it's fun stuff i like it i mean it, it's what you know that's yep. what keeps us moving forward
0: TRS I'd love it, but I think the, uh, the the newest Synology I have does not support it because it doesn't have the oomph.
1: Oh, right. But your old one does. The 714 or 713 does, right? You think? Yeah, I think so.
2: I'll check I it think out. So. But You've um, got an
1: Intel chip in that one. Dave, I'm so glad you brought in the band
0: because I think they were about to turn
1: into icicles because uh, I don't know about you, man, but it's below freezing here. It's um I don't have my watch on. I took it off. It's 17 degrees outside here at the at this very moment. Could you just look outside? <laughs> What's that? Did I look outside? No, I looked at my watch. I, I would say instead of looking at your watch, you could look outside. Uh, actually I can't. The studio is all oh, sealed up here. I don't right. have um you're in your Johnny
0: Ive equivalent of the white room. That's right. Yours is a purple. Yours roof. is a uh, uh, rubber. Or, or a it's not a rubber room. Well, no, it's padded. Well, no, yes. you you it have your uh, you, you have true. your
1: audio padded room. That's right. Room. Yes? So I'm in a purple padded room is what you're trying to tell people. Is that right? Purple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's purple? Really? I thought it was more black. No, oh, it's okay. purple. The walls the walls, and the ceiling are purple in the studio here. It's actually pretty but anyways, cool. Dave, the band came in from the outside, and
0: you know what that reminds me of is that I'm so glad that um, they came back in because then they could tell us, And we could all tell you how to get in touch with us. And one way to get in touch with us, Dave, is to send us an email to feedback at macgeekab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, folks, as my esteemed colleague just said. Yep. And uh, if your fingers are still able to move in this frigid cold, you can type out feedback at macgeekab.com.
1: Unless you happen to be a premium member, in which case premium at MacGeekGab.com is the place you get to email uh, if you want to become a premium member, that's uh, all detailed for you at com. We would love to have you. In fact, if you go to MacGeekGab.com slash premium, that'll bring you there. Uh, premium listeners that uh, whose questions or tips we discussed in this episode are Andy, uh, Patrick, Eddie, John, and uh, the last one, Mike so thank you very much to all of you who are premium members we really really appreciate it It, um, your support it means the world to us it allows us to do all the things that uh, that we do John how else can they find us Um, I would say the Twitters
0: is wonderful and I was a prolific tweeter as I think you were Dave when we were on our little uh, little learning journey of CES and on Twitter he is Dave Hamilton I am John F. Braun. The podcast is Mac ECAB. The publication is Mac Observer. Oh, and that guy, Pilot Pete.
1: Yeah, um, we gotta get him is, back around. Who is
0: piloting? Well, he, he's doing the pilot thing. Yeah. You gotta do that sort of stuff. Um, all at twitter.com. Um,
1: it's true. And we hope to see you there. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned CES, John, so I wanted to give one last shout-out to all of the sponsors that made our CES coverage possible. That's amazing. The Omni Group, Merlin Project from Project Wizards, Setapp from Macpaw, and Elgato with their new Thunderbolt 3 dock. Thank you so much. Those folks made our CES coverage possible. Uh, the stuff that we talked about from there in the first, half of this, the first half of this episode couldn't have happened without their help. Thank you very much. Of course, our sponsors for this episode, this episode couldn't have happened without their help. That's Blue Apron, where you go to blueapron.com slash MGG and get three meals for free. And then also GoDaddy at GoDaddy.com where coupon code MGG30, that's MGG30, saves you 30% off anything new. Additional sponsors for Mac Geek Hub in the general sense this year at the moment include FatCatSoftware.com slash MGG, SmileSoftware.com slash Geek, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, Thank you to all of you for making all of this possible. It's a village, or it takes a village. We are a village. (laughs) It's all good. Thanks so much. John, uh, I'm glad you made it home, but we have a a full week to go here. In fact, we have a week and a day because we're not going to record again until Tuesday the 17th because I'm going Mm. to Mexico. So... Muy bueno. Muy bueno, but make sure no one in the next 8 days make sure you don't get caught
2: maybe